Hey, it's Jed Hearn, host of Wizards, Warriors, and Words. If you're enjoying the writing advice on this show, you might like my new podcast, The Jed Hearn Show, where every week I share the best fantasy writing advice that I've learned from publishing three fantasy novels and a best-selling video game. There's over 12 episodes that you can listen to right away, including my top 10 fantasy books of all time, how to make fantasy names that don't suck, two rules that make writing effortless, and my complete summaries of Brandon Sanderson's and Neil Gaiman's writing classes, and much more. Check it out by searching for The Jed Hearn Show in your podcast app. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I wrote, I, wrote a, I wrote a fantasy trilogy that I considered gritty and honest and character-focused. I just thought it was an epic fantasy trilogy in the finest traditions of epic fantasy. And th- then everyone said it was dangerous and subversive. Hello and welcome to Wizards, Warriors and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, author of Across the Broken Stars, and I'm joined by my fellow writers, starting with Dirk Ashton. I am Dirk Ashton, not Michael R. Fletcher, no matter what everybody says. And I wrote this, not him. This is the first book of the Paternus Trilogy. Is that the version with my name on it, though? <laughs> no, is that this, the one. Does my name? This one has. Or is that my, the one where you replaced my blurb? Yeah, this from is some the other Sorry, this is the one with Mike <sighs> with Mike Carey. Ah, uh, you're such a shit. You traded me for a different Mike. <laughs> I love my Mike. Mike Upscale guest has introduced you sufficiently. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, and Rob J Hayes. Uh, hello, I'm Rob J. Hayes. I'm author of, we'll go with uh, The War Eternal, including this one. This is book three. I don't know where book one is. It's around. That looks awesome. That's from Cold Ashes Risen. And we are joined again by the wonderful Joe Abercrombie. Joe, welcome back. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having <laughs> Absolutely. me. Absolutely. You, you did well on last episode, <laughs> so we thought we'd let you back in again. You know, we knew you were beating <laughs> down the studio again. doors to get in. <laughs> So I've been I've been out there all week. That's right, waiting, <laughs> just waiting for the doors to open. Haven't had time to go home and, and change clothes. No, Neither of us hungry. have actually. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we thought we'd just do another kind of uh, random questions episode because that was really fun last week. So mm. I guess I, I, I have a bad habit of starting off with big questions that are way too ambitious. But how do you deal with like the pressure of being in what most people would probably consider like the top, you know, two, three or five fantasy authors working today? Like, how do you deal with that pressure? <laughs> uh, uh, well, I mean, I suppose I, I kind of, I don't necessarily see it that way. It probably is one thing. It's true. That helps. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, it depends how you define fantasy, doesn't it? Uh, if you define it in a very narrow kind of particularly epic fantasy, probably gritty, grimdark kind of styly, then you're still stretching it. But if you think of, you know, writers like J.K. Rowling and Neil Gaiman and George Martin, and then, you know, a lot of writers at the more kind of YA end, you know, there's a lot of writers selling a lot more books than me, I would have thought. Sure. Not that I wish so, to deny my own huge importance, of course. I was going to say, don't <laughs> don't pass out this opportunity here, Joe. No, no. And, you know, not that many writers are able to make a full-time living out of it. So I'm, I feel constantly lucky and blessed to be among those chosen few <laughs> up here on the, the Mount Olympus the of writing. Where we spend <laughs> our time right. above the clouds. Yeah. Um, you had a uh, sorry a, yeah. a weird effect on fantasy. I mean, you mentioned the word grimdark. You like literally yeah, fucked up this. my <laughs> genre. I wrote a dark fantasy book, which I was quite proud of, and then you came along and bang, it's fucking grimdark now. And I'm like, what? <laughs> the <laughs> fuck when did is this that? Label change. <laughs> I like, and now I'm a grimdark author, and I'm like, nobody even asked me. And, you know, I'm coming <laughs> for your genre, fault. motherfucker. You did that. Yeah, I don't, I, don't consider it. I, I I didn't deliberately do that. I mean, the same thing happened to me. I wrote I wrote a <laughs> I wrote a fantasy trilogy that I considered gritty and honest and character focused. I just thought it was an epic fantasy trilogy in the finest traditions of epic fantasy. And th- then everyone said it was dangerous and subversive. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the whole grimdark thing. I mean, no one used grimdark until years yeah. after the first law was out. I mean, that's yeah. probably, I first heard it 2008, 9, 10 kind of time. And back then it was usually meant pejoratively to mean this book is a turd. It's gross and violent. It's, it's, gross, it, it's gross in a kind of utterly over-the-top, risibly childish, edgelordy way is what people mm. meant by grimdark. They meant this is, this is rubbish. They would say things like, <laughs> you know, the first law is grimdark, but Game of Thrones isn't because it's good. No, <laughs> yeah, that, that was the difference. That was the difference. Great no one compliment. considered no one considered a Game of Thrones grim, as part of grimdark originally. We, well, then now, gradually, now everyone's uh, going back and we do and now relabeling shit like Michael Moorcock, Elric books, are exactly. grimdark. Yeah, like, you can't Beowulf. go back. That's fucking dark fantasy. You're not allowed to retroactively label things. <laughs> well, the same well, like first law. Dark fantasy it, really? is all werewolves and vampires and sexy people in you know naked, half naked yeah. covers. So you have to. It's true. Sexy yeah. dinosaurs. Yeah, oh yeah. And all that. <laughs> is that uh, a sneak preview of your next book, Joe Abercrombie? Sexy <laughs> dinosaurs and werewolves. Do, would you pay for sexy dinosaurs? Yeah, probably. It has Joe Abercrombie's yeah. name yeah, on fine. it. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Chuck, uh, Chuck there are werewolves. Chuck, Ting- Ooh, Chuck Tingle nice. beat you to it, Joe. Sorry. Chuck Tingle beat everyone to it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to el- to all of them. So yeah. what is this book that you're working on, Joe? Mm. I should know this, but... A seamless transition. Yeah, let's It's a um, set of pages with words on them. <laughs> <laughs> this is the basic idea. It's a sort of a new thing. Uh, I'm in that phase. We were talking last time about... Uh, how little I enjoy the drafting process. And I'm kind of getting towards three quarters of the way through the draft. So this is the dark, the long night before the dawn, I I mm. hope. Uh, so, but it's a sort of a new thing, a different world. It's a kind of ridiculous 
version of our world, alternate history is doing it way too much of a favour. It's just kind of nonsense that I have bundled together in order to create a tapestry on which my ridiculous characters can uh, engage in their blood-spattered drama. Is it a, uh, is it a trilogy? And it has werewolves. It does have werewolves. It has werewolves, it has vampires, it has wizards and, and all kinds of... Does it have a 10-year-old pope in it as well? It has a 10-year-old pope. There we go. Yeah. Nice. Is it a uh, trilogy? Do you think? I don't know. It's sort of designed to be like a detective stories, you know, oh, yeah. each sort of book is its own thing. Okay. That features some of the same characters and, uh, you know, the characters tackling a different mystery or mess or problem. Hmm. The basic last... idea is that the Pope has a set of monsters in her basement that are sent to deal with the problems that the righteous uh, don't have the skills for. Ah. That's cool. That is basically the idea. I like nice. it. Um, so there's a, there's a there's an oversex werewolf. There's a there's an ancient vampire. There's a there's a self obsessed wizard. There's a a knight who can't die. There's an invisible elf. Um, and various. You just rewritten the Suicide Squad, but with like vampires and werewolves and the Pope. But better. <laughs> they they stole it off me. <laughs> but I mean, you just you just said that, that you know the Suicide Squad doesn't have werewolves, vampires, or popes. So fuck that. That's right. <laughs> That's not my you jam. Here first. That'll be on the back exactly. of the book. If you enjoyed Suicide Squad, well, this is not really the same thing. But read it anyway. I mean, with- rewriting classic stuff with fantasy kind of dressing on top is not a new thing, even for me. No. <laughs> so. Uh, Yes, that is kind of what I'm doing, I guess. You got uh, that. With your last trilogy, I was uh, particularly not just because it was, of course, I was excited because it was the next Joe Abercrombie thing, but uh, you got a, a special, pretty wonderful deal where you were able to write at least the first mm. draft of all three books before the first book came out, which is incredibly rare um, kind of yeah. kind of deal. Um are you doing the same thing with this or just kind of going one at a time? Whoa, what is that? <laughs> wow. That, so you're getting a thunder. Joke? Oh, what? Wow. I have a lightning Impressive. storm happening right outside my house. Oh, my God. That's very it's, atmospheric. It, it's my fury at being likened to the Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, the way has cursed you. Anger is uh, <laughs> down on me. Uh, well, yeah, so if so, Rob dies way, tomorrow, yeah. we know who the culprit was. <laughs> uh, yeah, Age of Madness, I had, um, we, we kind of, well, you know, I've got a, cl- a close relationship with my editor, Gillian Redfern, who's fantastic, who I've worked with right from the start at Galance. And um, I sort of felt that, obviously, I'd written the first law and I'd written two books before the first one was sold, more or less. And by the time the first one came out, I'd, I'd pretty much finished the whole lot. And that kind of gave me the chance to revise the first book at least a bit with the end of the third book very much in mind. And I feel like I, it wouldn't be half as good if I hadn't had that opportunity. You know, that was quite important because I wanted to, I, I, you know, if you're doing a proper trilogy, you want it to be, for me, one story in three parts that has 
some weight and you know things that start and pay off at the end and callbacks at the end that refer at the beginning and it wants to have a shape you know mm. to, to the whole thing and really to be written like one book in a sense um and so i'd then written three standalone books and i'd written the three shattered sea books which are much shorter and more self-contained in a way they're like three stories that add together into into one but they're not massively linked um so when i was going to write the age of madness you know i I felt well this is another big single story really and if i'm gonna do the best story i can i kind of need to get to the end before going back to the start because i can't write a really good start without knowing what the end is in the end yes Uh, so that felt the best thing to do and it also when writing the standalones, I'd kind of run into production problems a bit, not terribly badly, but just, you know, missing a deadline by a couple of months. And, you know, I'm not someone who kind of disappears off the face of the earth and turns up in the office with a briefcase full of handwritten notes or whatever, three months later. When was the date again? You know, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty organized. I'm pretty on it generally. So, you know, my, my editors knows exactly where I'm at. And so sometime you know, a year before the book was due to come out, I kind of knew, I don't think I'm going to make this date. And so we had to shift things back a bit. And that causes a bit of a pain in the arse internally. And, you know, when you're, when you're doing a big series, there's, there's a rhythm ideally to keep to if you're going to have the best result. You can't be blind to the business side of it. You know, you're supplying a product, you want the publisher to be able to deliver to the booksellers. You want the readers to get it when they want it, you know? And it seemed to us that yearly would be the best outcome. And I don't quite write that fast, you know? I write maybe book every year and a half, maybe, on average. Um, so it seemed like a better thing to take a, a break, get everything, get a really r- loose draft of the whole series in place, and then I then schedule them for publication because we'd kind of know once the first draft's there, I, I know I can do it, you know, within a certain time frame and get the books all ready. Um, so that's kind of what I pitched to my editor and to the publisher, and they were happy to do that. They saw the sense of it. I mean, they felt, I felt like it was better to wait two or three years and then publish yearly and get the best possible result creatively and hopefully commercially than to kind of always be chasing your tail, trying to get the next book out and potentially land yourself in a mess because you've written something in the first book. And suddenly as you're writing the third, you think shit, I wish I'd been able to do this or that or change yes. that character or do that thing that been way. There. Exactly. You know, you want it to fit together. And so I had that, Luxury, fortunately. I mean, what happened was I wrote the first book and then having written the first book, rewrote it a bit because I kind of felt by the time I got to the end of the first book, I, I already had then a pretty good handle on it. Um, and so I rewrote the first book and then wrote the other two. And as I say, they came pretty quickly, uh, pretty pretty relatively easily. Nothing's ever easy, but relatively easily. And then once we had you know drafts of those two, I felt like, okay, stick it in for publication, tighten the first one up, and then revise and tighten the other two. And that's kind of what we did. And it worked really well. Um, For this latest set of books, the plan was to write something where I can just do a book in this series and then go away and then come back and do another 
and then go away and come back and do another or do three or whatever suits, you know, because I've got various other stuff going on. So I did when I was writing Age of Madness as well. And it slightly got in the way at times. The problem with something like Age of Madness, it's so big and there's so many characters and there's so much going on and there's so much history and other stuff to draw on from the other books. You've kind of really got to have your head in the game mm. to make headway. Um, there's a lot to keep in in the head. Whereas with these books, I want something that I can kind of dip into a bit more um, and not worry too much about continuity and you know try to make everything pay off smoothly. So with these ones, it won't be that approach. I'll I'll get the first one done, then we'll publish, then we'll see where we're at, and you know I'll, I'll write them when I can. Are they shorter too? Uh, they're always supposed to be shorter. Every book I write is going to be shorter. So when I, when I set out to write Best of Cold, that was going to be... So the, the first law were kind of 200,000-ish. Last Argument of Kings was longer. I think it was about 240. It's my longest book, I think. And then um, with the standalones, it was like, okay, let's make these... Let's pull that in a little bit, make mm-hmm. these a little bit shorter. 150, 175, that was the plan. And then it wasn't it was like it was like 230 or something out it sprawled out it bloated in the in the it it kind of was left out in the rain and swelled up (laughs) to 230 thousand words best of called then heroes i got down to 200 and red country i finally got to like 180 that was actually the length they were all supposed to be uh age of madness wasn't too bad i think they were all more or less where i hope they'd be yeah, well, they're, they're sort of, I think they're between 180 and 200, 175 to 200. Nice. They're around there. And um, for, those, for those listening, we're talking about word counts, not yes. pages. Yes. Not yes. pages, yeah. <laughs> I don't think in pages, you know, this book would be nice and, nice and tight. The hardcovers <laughs> are, are always a different number of pages than the paperback. So I, I think in words always for length. Uh, yeah. yeah. Nice. One thing. Um, I wanted to uh, ask there are uh, if there, if a book has just one scene and the rest is a slog or crap, yours aren't that way. Just let's get this straight. Um, I will love them forever. And there are two particular scenes like that where in the first law, one is in the first book and one I think is in the second. It's been a long time since I read them. You, you ever read a particular chapter or portion of a book and suddenly everything, it's like the prose, the mood, the subject matter, and everything just comes together in a way that makes you kind of go, uh. um, there are two, which is very rare for any one author in one series. Um, one of them is when Logan first becomes nine fingers yes in first law or in the first book um and uh i just was going because everything i mean his voice the voice changed everything this big badass guy who's kicking the shit out of him suddenly is like a three-year-old standing in front of a giant um, and another, and I can't remember exactly which book it is, it's in, 
it starts, it's very simple. Logan is in a wagon traveling with some other soldiers somewhere through the hills and the forest. And then there's an attack going on. Logan slips out, makes his way through the trees. And um, uh, forgive me, I'm terrible with names. The, the big bad guy that he ends up fighting in the end with half tattooed, the half tattooed character. Um, that whole scene, even before that's just the way he was thinking and how you described how he was sneaking through those trees and taking people out. That's another one of those where I was just like, and I wanted to ask if you thought that way when you were writing those or once you wrote it, you thought, okay, that's a really fucking good scene. Um, do those yeah, stand out to you like they do to me? Certainly the first one. I mean, partly because, you know, obviously the, the, the thing with the Bloody Nine is like quite a big thing mm-hmm. in uh, the books and has been trailed a lot and kind of, you know, the powder has been kept dry on that. So it was quite, it, it was satisfying to do that scene. And it was a, a scene I thought about a lot how to do. And the voice to take and refined a lot and kind the execution of was perfect. You know, that, that, those kinds of reveals are tough because they can fall flat, but yours was just perfect on point. Well, thank you. I mean, that was one that worked really well and that obviously worked exactly the way I'd planned to. The, the other one you mentioned is interesting because that's one of those emergent things that just happens while you're writing sometimes that hadn't really, it wasn't like a major. No. Yeah, nothing really major happens. He doesn't even fight that guy or anything. Um, But there's something about the way you wrote that that just still sticks with me. And it's been a lot of years since I read it. Yeah, sometimes things just kind of work. As I was saying before, sometimes, you know, you just write something without really thinking about it. You don't even necessarily think much of it. And then when you come back to it and you're revising, you think, oh, this this is very close to right. I mean... Dogman's stuff, the, the, he's one of the characters in the first law. I always kind of wrote that and then deliberately didn't really polish it because it kind of felt better to be sort of rough and, and raw and a, and a bit like a, a guy telling you the story in a pub. You know, that's kind of the feel that I it wanted it to have. Sense. Yeah. Um, other things I spend a lot more time kind of revising and, and polishing, but it's always great when, you know, stuff just, stuff just happens and, comes together yeah and sometimes stuff you'll work on you know you'll grind it out and you'll think this is rubbish this is rubbish then you'll read it the next day and you'll be kind of wow man if i cut that paragraph and stick that one there suddenly that's this is not brilliant. so bad yeah um yeah and then other times you, you spend a lot of time trying to get things exactly the way they are so uh, it varies and sometimes you know you read things 10 years later and you think man that is a brilliant scene that i never really thought much about at the time and sometimes you read things 10 years later and think, ah, oh, I love that. Yeah. And now I'm not sure it lands the way I wanted it to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? It's very odd. And, and then there people sometimes that... ask, um, you know, would you, would you rewrite? Would you re-edit? Would you do a new edition? And Ooh. it's sort of occasionally something I thought about because there's things that didn't work or that I wish I'd done better with or I could have done differently, you know. But the thing is, when do you stop the clock and say, yeah. right, I'm, <laughs> I'm mature now. That's the, now I know the way to do it. 
Because in 10 years more, perhaps I'll look back and think, no, you know what? I was right the first time. I think uh, a <laughs> book's got to be then. a sort of testament of the person you were when you wrote it. Nice. That's well no. said. No. I think that way lies madness. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Trying to go yeah. back and, and tweak with stuff. There's You never finish a novel. You just You reach a point where you're like, you either don't know what else to do or you just, you got to do something else now. Yeah. You know, it's like you yeah. give up on it. You're like, fuck this, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it can always be endlessly revised more and more and refined more and more. But I think I've kind of, I've reached a point now where I have quite a structured set of revisions that I do. Um, and once I'm through that, I kind of, I, I let it go apart from the the kind of proofread and, and things like that because you do have to leave it alone. You know, it's, it's, it's massively diminishing returns and even reaches a point where you can't really tell. You're as likely to introduce mistakes as you are to solve problems. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Do you revise George Lucas in other words? Like... <laughs> Possible. <laughs> we all turn into George Lucas in the end. Eventually. We'll get there. Die, die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dirk, you were asking something? Uh, do, you, do, you, um, do you revise in phases, Joe? Do you, do you concentrate on one thing, like voice, and then, some, then pacing, then, you know, yeah. characterization? Yeah, very, very much I do. Um, or I have come to, I didn't always, I used to just go over and over and over and over and over things endlessly when I first started writing, just because I was experimenting with how to do it and, you know, what to leave in, what to cut out, how to redo things. And 
I'd start every writing session by reading what I wrote the last time and rewriting it. And then I'd kind of end every session by going over what I'd written and rewriting it. And then over time I became kind of more efficient. And these days I tend to smash through a first draft. I was saying I split things in at parts. So each of the age of madness books is in three parts and I kind of, I'll write a part and then I'll revise it in some detail and get it into a kind of readable state. Interesting. Um, and then send it to an editor, my editor, discuss it. Often I discuss it with my mum and dad as well. Nice. They still read my stuff and, nice. and are brutally cool. critical of it, which is great. <laughs> and uh, so, and you know, I'll, I'll discuss it with people and I won't change it again then, but I'll have in mind some things that maybe, you know, as I go on to the next part, need to be different or, you know, have a different idea about. Uh, and then when I get to the end of the first draft, again, discuss it with the editor, but a lot of, you know, we'll kind of have discussed it quite a lot already. So in a way, at the end of the first draft, there's not that much to say sometimes. So we've mm. already talked about it. We know what needs doing. And then second draft is really the heavy lifting of refining the characters, getting the arcs right, maybe adding a chapter or taking something out here or there that is something that needs developing a little bit more or expanding on. Um, and, you know, making the big changes that make it, hopefully make sense and pay off you know does a character need to be more caring early on so that their twist to being more cynical is more effective you know that kind of thing and try to pull out the voices of the main characters as much as possible though i'm doing that all the time so that's kind of at the forefront of my mind all the time so hopefully by this point the voices are quite established of the main characters and then when i've done that second draft i kind of have three passes three big passes through where the first is really focused on character, probably more the secondary characters than the primaries at this point, because the primaries should be there. But the secondary characters try to get as much kind of personality and distinctiveness into their manner and their voice and the way they talk as I can. So, you know, I tend to, when I first write a first draft, I'll use sort of generic things, a lot of eyebrows. A lot of eyebrows, <laughs> a lot of raising eyebrows, yes. eyebrows all over the place in my first drafts. <laughs> and then, you know, you think to yourself, right, what's a bit of a more specific thing to this character? Are they twitchy? You know, do they rattle their heel when they're waiting to talk? Do they sniff? You know, have they got one eye higher than the other? You know, what is it about them that is kind of distinctive and speaks to their personality? Do they tug on their beard hairs? Do they pick their ear while they're watching, waiting for things to happen? You know, try to find things that are arresting and you, they finger you their scar. <laughs> exactly. You know, and things like, you know, what, what, try to get consistency in their, what do they wear? What do they look like? What's their hair like? Are the things that have changed during the, the course of the thing? So, you know, for instance, Ricker in Age of Madness, the character who's physically undergoing quite a lot of transformation as, as you go. So you kind of want to keep coming back to those things. And she has these twitchy kind of mannerisms that you're trying to, maintain and you know other characters have a certain way of talking a certain dialect that you're trying to sharpen up and get as consistent and correct as you can so that's really what this that pass is about and then there's a pass that is setting focused some of that is kind of trying to get research stuff that i've dug out of books into the text to make the kind of background rich the sort of world building things mm -hmm. i'm not too asked about that stuff generally but where it kind of adds some texture and something arresting and interesting you're looking for those details that bring it to life like i was reading engel's condition of the working class in britain 
mm-hmm. as you do. And uh, he, he was <laughs> observing, that, reading. of course, he was observing that the um, the slums of Manchester were full of pigs, like the streets, the alleys were all rammed with pigs. Everyone would have their pigs that they'd feed the rubbish to, and then in winter you slaughter your pigs, and there you go. So huh. the the slums were just a constant screaming bedlam of pig noises <laughs> and smelled good too exactly <laughs> and so and that's just quite a kind of wow i never thought of that you know when i yeah. watched david copperfield Very vivid they, are, they don't have pigs everywhere mm. <laughs> but they did have pigs everywhere in the victorian slums so you know that's the kind of thing you add and think oh that brings the scene suddenly to life so there's that kind of thing but then also there's the sort of detail of how the scenes are constructed. I tell you, I might often write a conversation in a, in a room and there is no texture or personality to the room. So this is the point at which I say, hmm, what kind of room is this? What makes this scene unique and interesting in the same way that I'm trying to make the characters unique and interesting? What's the weather like? What's the light like? What's the temperature like? What time of year is it? Are the leaves falling from the trees or are the leaves springing out, you know? Mm. Uh, and does that bring anything out from the characters? Does that bring any observation? Does that kind of add to their character? So, right. you know, for instance, in, in um, Trouble with Peace, there's a scene where Savine overhears this conversation that Leo and Lord Isher are having in the next room. And in the first draft or second draft, that was just a room. But by this draft, it is a room with hunting trophies everywhere, right? So it's a kind of manly man's room of the kind that Leo might have, yeah, with these overbearing stuffed (laughs) heads everywhere. Says something about him, but she then is kind of, it becomes modelled as a hunt that she's on to kind of snare them. And so the hunting trophies around the room take on a slightly different tone. You know, she looks at at the sort of a deer with horns and that gives her a certain thought. She looks at a big cat, that gives her a different thought. So it kind of, that adds a sort of, it adds a tone to the room, makes the world feel kind of richer and more lived in, but also adds something extra to the the characters. So I'm looking for that sort of thing and to try and give everything a little bit of a theme and a little bit of texture. It doesn't have to be much. It's just a line here or there that make, mm. that takes it from nothing to something. Mm-hmm. And then the third big pass through is just language. And I've got an incredibly clever thing that I do, which is I make the text really big. <laughs> yeah. Like really big. So I've got a big monitor. What size font are we talking here? 20? Oh, we're, talk- we're talking like 400% on Word. It's, it's not the font. I'm just blowing oh, just the, zooming in. The, the zoom zoom in so that, you know, ah. the text looks big and that gives you a different look on it. You can make it a different font sometimes as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've done and that, that in the past, and it's look. huge. It's really yeah, useful. It, make, it makes it, suddenly you read it differently, different things stand out. And also when you type, the, you feel really powerful because the words are massive. I have become a god in the word processor. That might be exactly. the best advice I've ever um, heard for writing. Just type in a really big font so you <laughs> see, feel good about yourself. If you want to be a big author, it, type in big text. Exactly. One of the biggest names in fantasy. It's uh, 11 letters, Abercrombie. <laughs> That's it. It's just about stretching uh, it. So, yeah, exactly. You, uh, so I'm going over the detail and, and just trying to get the, you know, pick better words, <laughs> get the uh, rhythm pick of the, the sentences right. Words. 
the bestest words, the finest verbiage available to man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, move the commas around, all of that stuff. And to get the sort of balance and the rhythm and take what is bland filler that I've stuck in for one reason or another and try and give it a bit of personality and balance and rhythm and those things that I suppose I think of as good writing. Of course, no one ever really agrees on what good writing is, but what I think of as good writing anyway, that's what I'm trying to impose as much as possible in that third round. And that's it. Once that's done, it goes off to be for its final edit generally and nice. the proofread and the kind of, yeah, those last couple of bits. That's a, yeah, that's, thanks for sharing that process. That's, yeah, a, that's great. a really good way of looking at it. And I will be stealing that wholeheartedly with my next book. That I, edit, so. <laughs> I mean, it's, thanks, I, th- I think it's good to try different stuff as well. You know, I, t- I tend mm. to do slightly different things with every book and sometimes it feels, some things feel like they work and sometimes not so much. I mean, some chapters might need some extra going over cause they're a bit of a mess, you know, and some chapters, sometimes, sometimes they need a theme the chapter mm. does, and sometimes you can find a title that gives you a theme that then brings other things out. Right. You know? Uh, and often chapters that have different points of view within them, it's nice to link them through in some way that kind of gives you a sense of Cohesion. continuity and that, you yeah. know, your book's actually about something rather than just a load of stuff you wrote. <laughs> <laughs> it's helpful as well if you can manage it. Always a good illusion to have. Um, mm. This has been amazing. We'll we'll wrap this up in a second, but I just wondered if there was a couple of rapid fire things that I could go through with you. Mm. Um, so yeah, just feel free to just shoot out the first thing that comes to your mind with this. First of all, or just go worst... eh, next question. Yes, reject it if you want another question. Okay. What is the worst writing advice anyone has ever given you? The worst writing advice anyone's ever given you? Like you specifically. Is there something that someone said to you that you tried to incorporate and then you look back on it and thought, oh, that was a mistake? Well, I think there are writing cliches that are only ever half right. You know, show don't tell is kind of half right, but it's also bollocks. Uh Write what you know is kind of true, but kind of hugely limiting as well because you've got to write what you don't know at some point. Or mm-hmm. you just write you, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I just write a guy sitting in a room writing, which is not very interesting. You've got to write what you don't it's know. Swarbeck you know. was pretty good in Age of Madness. I thought he was great. Yeah, yeah, yep. absolutely. Well, it's a, a, a little authorial self-insert is always is always nice, isn't it? <laughs> um, so I think any advice is always both right and wrong. You know, don't don't stick too too much to any advice you get because. You've got to find your own way through it in the end. Use what works and throw the rest away. Yeah, I like that. Awesome. Uh, next one is, if you could have only written one of the First Law standalones, so either Best Served Cold, The Heroes, or Red Country, if you could mm. have only written and published one of those, which one would it have been? Ooh. Oh, The Heroes. Yes. It's actually, over That's time, has become not hard to answer in a way. I, th- I think... I really like the other two as well and like a lot of things about them. Mm. But I think the heroes just hit a sweet spot of my kind of interest in military history and politics and all that stuff, along with the the kind of mosaic nature of having a lot of characters and a lot of points of view. And that particular trick you you talked about, I think, is sort of just works very well 
for that particular book and as a way of investigating how a battle works. And it's just a bit more, not that it's never been done before, but that, that kind of approach of having epic fantasy very compressed in space and time. It all kind of takes place in, in three days in one valley, really. I think is probably my most original book. Not that that is necessarily that interesting, that things be original. I think that's kind of overrated. But uh, I think it's my most... It's my most technically successful book, I think, probably. Mm. It's yeah, I would say it's probably my favorite. Like I love I like them all, but that one is the one that blew my mind the most when I was reading it because of yeah, the compressed nature of it and just what you did with all those different viewpoints. So I'm glad you have picked this for the scenario where you, <laughs> you travel back in time correctly. and delete the two other books. <laughs> yes. Correct. Um, you have nailed this. Uh you may or may not be able to answer this one. Is Nine Fingers alive in Age of Madness? Um, I generally prefer not to answer that sort of thing just because I think if it's in the text, it's in the text. And if it's not, mm-hmm. why, why are we talking about it in a way? Uh-huh. But I mean, I don't think it's necessary that he be there. No, I agree. Uh, yeah, fair enough. That's a good answer. It's kind of nice to have these, stuff, these things left up to your own interpretation as a reader as well. Yeah, yeah I think I think often it is. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. The mystery is important. I think fantasy fans especially often get kind of obsessive about the cataloging and the, mm. the, and the rendering canon. into maps and tables what is better left as magic, magic. Magic systems. Well, maybe. I mean, that sort of thing is not my taste generally. Mm-hmm. You can do it well or you can do it badly, of course. But yeah. it's not. I, I like there to be some doubt in the corners. Because that life is full of that, right? Real life is you never find out the answers to most things. There are no answers. Yes. So exactly. I think a book feels more real and honest when it has mysteries with no answers in them. I like that. That's a that's another good answer. Another pass. Another pass from Mr. Abercrombie. <laughs> um, you will be graded. We're going to grade him at the end. You scored uh, seven out of ten. That's three right. answers. That's right. That's three out of four. <laughs> All of our podcast guests go home with a with a report card telling them how well they how well they did. <laughs> um, no, okay. Second last one. We're almost we're almost done. Mm. What advice would you give to an author who is writing their first book right now, and they kind of relate to a lot of the things you were saying about struggling when they're halfway through it? Uh, you know, they're really doubting themselves, and it was fun at the first at the start of it, and now it's sort of feeling like a slog. What advice would you give to an author in so that situation? After saying all advice is half shitty. Yes. What mm. advice would you give? What half <laughs> shitty advice would you be giving yeah, to the author? My, my shitty advice would be uh, shit. chair, chair time. Chair time. Sit yep. in front of it. Yep. You know, they say plants grow in the gardener's shadow and books grow in the writer's shadow. If you're not in the chair, then it ain't going to happen. So, you know, sit in front of it, read it, do whatever feels the root of least resistance. Don't kind of say, man, this chapter's so hard, I'm going to sit here and smash my head against it until it works. Maybe say, you know, if, you say, if you're thinking, I can't wait to get to that scene, you know, and write that scene. Go write it. Write that scene. Yep. You know, yep. and maybe that'll get the juices flowing a little bit and you'll come back to more difficult things and find they flow out sooner. So take the root of, le- root of least resistance. I mean, it's not fun writing. It's horrible. A lot of the time, <laughs> but try and make it as fun as you can. Don't make yes. it harder for yourself than you need to. Yeah. 
All right, and last one here. Complete this sentence for me. Say one thing for Joe Abercrombie. Say he's a... <laughs> uh, say he's a... I don't know. It's, it's kind of not for me to say that, is it? I, I, I don't know how I describe myself. You need an authorial voice to say it for you? <laughs> kind of. It's, it's other people to judge in a, in a way. That's fair. Ah! Rejected question. <laughs> that's well, that's kind of like the last time that actually comes up in in Logan's uh, chapters. You don't finish it there either, and it's very satisfying how yeah yeah you just sort of leave that blank, and again, leave it up to the reader to basically insert whatever they want. So yeah, beautiful circularity there. Nice work, Joe. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Another pass. Well, well done, sir. This has been great. And all of us, I don't, I'm sorry that I turned this into a grading session. But <laughs> this is Joe, been, thanks this so much for, for coming on the show. This has been um, absolutely spectacular. Uh, you're yeah. one of my favorite authors. So this means a lot to me. And I've really appreciated absolutely. all the thoughts you've shared on writing. It's been great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Really thanks, stuff. guys. Really good stuff. Hope to see you uh, in person again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are you t- are you gonna you thinking about going to uh, Scotland for Worldcon uh, in twenty twenty four? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I probably will go catch COVID again. Unless, um, <laughs> unless I get I hit by of, a car, I will be there. Yeah, I try to get to the Worldcons that are in in Europe, or you know, so Scotland is is close enough that I really should try and make it. Yeah. And you, Rob, you plan on going? Oh, I'll be there. Yeah, it's like a train journey, so it's like easy enough yeah. to do, isn't it? <laughs> Awesome. Great. Well, thank you everybody for right. listening or watching and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye everybody. Thank you, Joe. Thanks everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks Joe. Thank you for listening or watching to this episode of Wizards, Warriors and Words. If you like what we're doing here and you would help, like to help support the show, please go to patreon.com forward slash Wizards, Warriors and Words. And for a monthly subscription, you can get access to bonus episodes that you can't find anywhere else. Currently we have five bonus episodes up there and we're going to be adding more in the future. So you can check that out. The link is down below if you would like to have a look. A special thanks to our high tier patrons, Talon, Daniel, and Lewis. Thank you for helping support the show. We'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.